Yay. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Um, so, yeah, in terms of that idea that we're we're striving to be so unique and yet we're all the same and that like tension that exists there, there's also this same uh, concept in art making. And this came from uh, a book by the author Ben Sean, who wrote The Shape of Content. And there's a chapter in his book called The Biography of a Painting. He was a painter. And he said, when you're trying to make a work that's going to affect everyone, it's going to be generic and cliche because you're trying to think about everyone. When you try to make a work that is completely personal, you're forgetting about the audience. You're just saying what is for yourself. Suddenly people will see themselves in it. And I think the same thing is true for dance. You know, we see all this dance, like commercial dance. So you think you can dance, et cetera. And they're like, oh, grief and desire. And you're like, that doesn't mean anything. It's just a cliche. And when people say, well, I mean, like my grief is so personal, maybe nobody will understand it or it's so vulnerable. And then when you share that, like, I don't know, this is just me. Like this is one thing that used to happen with my father before he died. It's just totally individual. It's this thing he used to do with his hand and I'm remembering it, but somebody else is going to hear you talk about that thing or see you dance about that thing. And they're like, I mean, that thing is not their thing, but they're like, oh my God, my dad used to do this thing with his mouth, you know, and suddenly they're in their own totally moved thing and they're, they feel you and they relate to you. And so there's this idea that I've always loved that the more personal we are, the more we um, invest in sharing what feels like it's only us, the more actually people recognize themselves in you and feel seen themselves. And that's an idea I've always had about like the audience seeing themselves and feeling seen when they're watching a performance. So an audience in a dark theater suddenly somehow feeling seen by the work that they're seeing and not that like one way, like I'm watching you, but no, oh, I feel seen. And that's always a goal for me with art. Yeah, there, there's like this magical mirroring that has this key of of being rooted on what is true in you so the other one recognizes that also as a personal truth that is quite different than when one does things to please the other or i'm gonna dance in a way that the guy in the disco I don't know, it becomes interested in me and invites me out or the audience from the theater or like, I'm going to do this presentation for for the boss to give me a raise or whatever. The, there's, like, there's like this background of transaction and conditioning. Whereas if you present yourself in the way that you mentioned, like, like from from this vulnerable state of acceptance of what you like and what you don't like in yourself and your presence and you have enough space to 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 
sustain your personal reality being this pain, this uh, worry, this trauma, this grief, like all this complexity and you are there in a in a state of stillness, finding the movement within stillness. Like I find this like vulnerable, loving and especially bold. So like how, how do you do not to shut shut down like <laughs> being standing in the theater and having all these people in the dark like the monster of the thousand heads looking at you and you're like with, with your tender heart here like beholding it or let's say like you are with your beloved in the bedroom like do you have like a key or a practice not to shut down because this can be like scary or not to, to armor yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I've never been great at armor in general. I've been better at like getting hurt and healing than I have been at building armor. Really my whole life, like that's been true for me my whole life. Um, it's not that I never put up a mask, certainly, I walk into a classroom full of students I've never met first day or just a single class that I'm teaching. I'm going in for a master class, never going to see you again. I want to create an impression. Certainly there's, you know, some mask that goes up. It's not like I'm just like purely open every single second of my life. But in general, the for me, the work of creating a mask is so much more work than recovering from pain yes. that I just, it doesn't feel worth it to me in the big picture. It's not that I'm, you know, like walk in and overshare in every class I teach, you know, there's also levels of like, you know, some of it's just for me. And then, you know, just because I'm not sharing it doesn't mean I'm hiding it or denying it or, or putting it away. Um, but, you know, you're not necessarily uh, privy to some of the deeper things about me when I go in and teach a master class, right? Um, but I think slowing down, like it all for me comes down to slowing down and consent comes down to slowing down. And I work with consent and intimacy and touch with people, with actors and dancers. And one of the biggest things, and this is not completely based on gender identity, but we have to admit it's a bigger problem for female identifying and certainly some LGBTQ humans, um, but race can also play into this. Um, but I think the biggest th thing we have to deal with with consent is not whether or not you say yes or no, or you make the space for someone to say yes or no, but we have to acknowledge that female identifying people in particular are not brought up to even feel their yes or no, because they're not asked and it's not invited and they don't grow up with that muscle to be like, do I like this? Do I not like this? What do I want? And if it's a question they're not asking their whole life, then suddenly in a moment and somebody's coming at them, even with good intentions and saying, is this okay? 
it's not enough time for them to have any idea. So they'll default to yes. And then later they feel like that, that was too fast. That wasn't right. What should that other person have done? Not necessarily anything different. I mean, there are certainly things we can teach their partners, but there is this burden that's on us. And I'm going to say right now as a gender, but this goes for other people. It's not, you know, only female identifying humans, but, um, to slow down enough, and this is what I teach in my classes about consent, you have to learn to slow down enough to be able to feel something. And then from that feeling, you can say, no, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want that. Or I do want, oh, I do want that. But you have to be able to take that time. And so the thing that I think we're teaching mostly girls going into college, et cetera, like learn how to say no. It's not the right thing that we're teaching. They don't know how to say no because they don't know how to feel no. We have exactly. to say, learn how to take a pause. Yes. And learn how to listen to yourself and learn how to take what feels like sometimes the awkward amount of time that it takes but you have to have the musculature also to be like, how do I feel? What do I want? And if the answer is, I don't know, then come back and say, just let's just say no, because I don't know. I can't tell how I feel. That's good enough. That's a good enough start. You know, what I say in my class is maybe is a no. I don't know is no. Yeah. Okay. If you can like get the musculature to check in and say, I'm a little shut down. I don't know how I feel. Great. Good. That's enough of an answer for now to say, good, let's pause this, you know? And I think we've really gotten on the wrong track with consent and the body because I think it's about tempo. Yes. And uh, I don't think we're teaching people how to sense themselves and feel themselves as young people. And we spend a whole education system telling them to shut up and sit still and not follow their intuition and their instinct and not do what they want. And as somebody who, you know, has been told all those things for many years and, you know, is often in too busy a work schedule with two kids, I know the feeling of like, I don't even really want to know what I want because I know I'm not going to be able to get it right now. And it just feels like it brings me grief to think like, I really want rest or I really want touch or I really want quiet because I know I can't get it right now because I've got two kids and I'm making dinner and da, 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 da. and it feels so sad to know that I'm not going to be able to get what I want that I don't even, I shut down feeling what I feel because I feel I'm not going to be able to honor it. And then later when I have space, I have to like claw myself back to, wait, 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 you know how to do this. You know how to get back to your feelings and your desires. But that takes slowing down again and listening. And so for me, all of this, all these very disparate ideas, art making, sensuality, sexuality, pleasure, consent, et cetera, it's all about tempo for me. It's all about slowing down and gaining the musculature to listen to yourself. And I think it is muscular. I mean, somatically muscular. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think it is something you can practice and that you can get better at. And I think it's not something that comes naturally after a lifetime of being indoctrinated about being quiet and not feeling and not expressing, which, you know, I'm watching my kids and they go to great schools, but still they're basically sit down, shut up and do what we tell you to do for the majority of your day, for the majority of your childhood. And then we expect them to know what they want, be able to sense and feel themselves and advocate for themselves. The minute they hit college, what? No, we have to educate them. Yes, to slow down, to take the time. Here in the Centro de Poder, one of our taglines is take the time to sense your fire so you can share the flame. But this taking time, it's like almost a rebellious measure in this fast-paced culture society that expects and demands that we comply, that we fit in. And in regards to other people, that like even erase yourself mm -hmm. and please the other with, with the mask of service. Mm -hmm. but, but that's like just like the the frame of martyrdom in a way especially for for women or for feminine identified humans so what you say it's so important to to just slow down to really connect to the truth of what you're sensing as being ready or not knowing which means no like mm -hmm. if it's not yes it's it's a no because only and that's that's also something key like taking ownership of the desire and the disposition and also the tempo and the timing like what you said like i i don't want to to even think that i want rest or touch because i have to make dinner now and i have to do a bunch of things but also like following your tempo and when the time is right in the outer space and in the inner space like go for it claim claim the experience and have it and and welcome it and the truth is that when i am in that moment where i like i don't want to think about what i want because i feel like i'm not going to get it i'm not doing a great service to myself there are times when i'm in the kitchen and making dinner and people are talking to me and I I do stop for a second and say <clears throat> I wish this was not <clears throat> I wish this was not what I was doing right now I don't feel like doing this I am um, I do want to feed my kids though so I'm gonna do it but this is not really what, where I want to be right now And that sometimes allows me just enough space to say, do you want to put a song on? Do you want to make yourself a drink while you cook? Yes. yes. Cool enough. Do you want a nice back on your neck while you cook? Yes. You need to pee. <laughs> you know, right. like you sometimes yeah. it is just enough space like for that. me to say like, oh, I could make this a little better. Yeah. 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 And, and not be like so societally boxed into the black or white yes or no pleasure or pain but 
having this spaciousness to harbor contradiction like what we yeah. mentioned like coming up on stage with the whole of your existence your griefs your trauma your pain in the ankle and your big heart and your big desire to sharing your voluptuous being through your movement and have a an unforgettable experience with the audience it, it also works the other way around like going almost crazy task after task but not canceling that little possibility or that space for the moment to to be more pleasurable and yeah. go through what you're doing in in a way that can be more delightful but i feel that the that dealing with with the contradiction of, of life it's it's rebellious <laughs> because yeah. it's not, not black and white and it's also like like accepting for a moment at least being undone like okay i am not done with this task meaning i don't have all this time available and space available for my pleasure but i am okay with being undone with this so right now i can experience the little or the lots of pleasure that the moment is offering to me and and that is like like unsettling you know i get unsettled because of yeah because of giving of this possibility of giving into the movement and complexity of life how it is yeah and I think that one other element inside that for me is about reframing how I think about choice, because um, often the outcome is the same, like I'm going to make dinner for my kids. I'm not just going to if I check in and I say, I don't want to be doing this. I'm never going to be like, OK, I'm not going to make dinner for my kids. Right. I'm going to make them dinner. But I do feel like I can get into a, a kind of. um just ongoingness about I have to, I have to, I have to, I should, I have to, that shuts me down. And when I say, okay, you could not make dinner for your kids. They, they won't die. You know, they <laughs> could go to bed hungry or they'll fix themselves snacks or whatever. And then I can feel in my body like, oh, I don't like that. I don't, I don't want them to do that. That doesn't feel nice to me. No, I, I want to make them dinner. And suddenly I'm like, no, I, I want to. Uh -huh. Is it the thing I want? Like, do I, am I enjoying it right now? Not really, but I do want to do it. And this is the moment to do it. So, okay. And I feel like that about, like when I can reframe my parenting in that way, that it's like, look, you could leave. You could never talk to them again. You could yeah. never hug them again. You could never, what you know, you could, you don't have to put them to bed anymore. You like people do it all the time. Right. Do you want to do yeah. that? And then my whole body is like, no, 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 I don't want, no, 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 not my kids. I want, no, I, I want the, no, I, I want to do, I want to do whatever the thing is. And I think that that sometimes pulls me out of that cycle, which, you know, is very defined by capitalism and the patriarchy and heteronormativity and all these different things that we're we say we're trying to fight but we can't just fight them on the street we have to change them in ourselves and when I'm like well you have to you should you have to you have to you have to you should I'm like that's capitalism and the patriarchy yes 
inside my body. So what if I shed that and say, no, you don't have to. You don't have to. You could walk away. You could abandon your kids. You could do it. People do it all the time. Do you want to do that? Is that what you want? No, no, I don't. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I really don't want to do that. And Not you know, he's telling me. Yeah. And this is a perfect example of, of what you mentioned earlier of getting to this truthful experience on stage of first accepting and then coming to stillness and find the movement within stillness. Like you made the pause, you you adjusted the tempo to see what was going on in you, like in this example. And then you found in this space, what was true for you that, well, I could like, I don't know, like put them in foster care, but at the core, at the root, that's not what I want as tired and stressed as I might be in this moment, at my core, my truth is that I want to do this. And then there's this spaciousness to contain the complexity and the contradiction and the yeah. pain. And, and now I am understanding these wise words that you said, like uh, that you were not like used to putting armors, you were like more used to to being open from pain. Yeah. and healing and that shattered my <laughs> my frame because I have just catched that I had until this moment the the fear of getting hurt due to the belief that I wouldn't heal that it, that if I got hurt I would be hurt forever and then realizing that I feel part of of maturity and this ownership of yourself in adulthood is exactly presenting it to the moment and the world and reality and your kids and the stage and your work and everything as who you are in, in the subjective position where you're at. Like, this is what, what I want to do now. And I am like showing up for that in a way defenseless, but I am in it. And if I get hurt, I am also an adult and and it's part of the risk. And the strength is in knowing that we heal. Actually, we get hurt all the time and we heal all the time. And when you know that, you don't even need that armor. Yeah, and I know from healing the body that the body really only heals I'm going to say in air quotes correctly, you know, or efficiently or the most naturally, if it is being truthful about where it's at. So for example, mm -hmm. I spent three years in really intense chronic pain. I ended up with two hip replacements and every time I stood up or took a step, it was like a butcher knife in my hip socket. It was so painful. And one night, I was, uh, I was, I had smoked some weed and I was feeling like really feeling everything. And I was walking up the stairs in my house, feeling a lot of physical pain. 
and I slowed down and I said, I realized that a lot of my pain was actually pain that I was causing myself bracing against the actual pain. Like I so didn't want to feel that pain. It was so traumatic to me that I was tightening up all these other things. I was in so much pain in my body, but a lot of the pain was just bracing. And I thought, okay, what if I just let it be exactly as painful as it is? I don't try to stop it. I don't try to resist it. I just say, yeah, this is much pain as you're in right now. This is the pain that's in your body. And I walked up the stairs and it was painful, but it was actually less painful than it had been a few steps before because I felt like, well, this is what's real. It's not me fighting and causing myself other pain. And of course, then I was like, yeah, we do this all the time. Trying to protect ourselves from pain causes all this other psychic pain and damage and inability to connect with people and inability to soften and receive. And I know that you know, you asked about, well, what about when you're with your partner? And I feel like when I'm, I don't really feel like it's a situation of a mask to protect me from him because I trust him. But when I feel that I haven't been honest in my body and I'm resisting my own feelings of myself, not liking myself, whatever it is, and I'm like, I don't want to feel that. Ugh that doesn't feel good. So I'm just going to not feel that. Then I can't feel him. I, I've always felt from the inside of me that all of my different feelings, my joy, my fear, my grief, my everything. A little bit of fear, mm, sadness at a certain level, they're all in the same place. Go a little deeper. Oh, more joy. Oh, but more fear. Oh, more sadness. Go a little deeper. Like ecstasy, real grief, terror. If the terror, real existential dread. And if I don't want to feel those things, I'm not going to have access to the ecstasy. And that's a choice that people can make. You know, people live up here and they're like, I don't want that. I do not want to feel that. Okay. You can live there. It's, I don't say that as a judgment. Like you absolutely can live there. That's a choice you can make. I want to live a more intellectual life. I want to find my connectivity in thought. I don't want to be in body. I don't want to be in sense, I don't want to open myself up to the depth of my own grief, my own self-loathing, my own dread. Okay. That's not how I'm able to live. And it's not the choice that I've made of how I prioritize and value my, my lived experience in this one lifetime that I'm aware of. So I don't choose to do that. And the people that are attracted to me as a teacher are mostly people that are not choosing to do that in their life. They're people that are like, I need some help to get into that deeper space. Yeah. And there are plenty of people who don't want to go there and that's fine. I don't, I don't say like, this is a universal value. This is what I value. 
And then I'm here to help people who, who want to value that, even if they have not yet valued it in their life, but they see the value of it and they want, they need support getting in there. Yes, to explore the depth of existence as it is with its tremendous existential angst, grief, but also bliss and ecstasy. So, Alexandra, would you share with us a little something, movement, imaginary idea, so we can be more open and receptive? Uh, like uh, an idea for something to do for yourself? Yeah, like, like a little movement or something to, to wrap up this episode. Like we talked a lot about these great, I feel, truths and like just a little something to, to get us a felt sense of what we just. Yeah, well, I always like to ask people to start by lying on the ground and I really appreciate Uh, lying on the ground with your feet in the floor and your knees up. So we call that knees up or if your hands are on your belly, constructive rest. And the first thing I like to talk about is trying to let your head and your spine have a conversation. And you're just listening into the conversation between your head and your spine. And you can also do this in a chair. It's a little bit harder when you're seated, seated but you if you lie down, chair, yeah. So... So yeah. the specialists that have a are watching on, on YouTube can get the image. So hands on the belly or is yeah, sure. Hands on the belly is great. And if it feels comfortable to close your eyes. And I might suggest you take your glasses off. And there's this conversation that happens between the head and the spine when we start to let go. You might notice that you're holding your head attached to your spine a little bit. And so we start to invite the head to have its own journey. Sometimes that means it starts to wobble a little bit or even do a little tiny, tiny dance. And I think of myself as eavesdropping on the conversation between my head and my spine. And inside that, you might start to notice that you're holding your jaw to your spine. So then the next level is to let your back molars relax away from each other. Let the base of your tongue relax and feel that delicious hollow inside your mouth and throat that attaches to the hollow of the nostril and sinus and the hollow of the ear canals. So you have all these spaces where the world can enter us and we can enter the world from the skull. And we're just softening all those spaces, not particularly taking anything in or releasing anything. We're just softening all the spaces where we connect with the world. And we're relaxing the eye sockets and letting the eyeballs relax. And I find there are levels of this where we can continue. Now I'm gonna check in again with the weight of the skull. Does it have one more ounce to surrender into the ground? I'm gonna check in again with the jaw and see if it has a little more to release. I'm gonna check in with the forehead and the brow bone and the third eye and see if that has any softening that mask of the upper face. And then I start to notice my breath 
entering and exiting the body and how each half of the breath changes everything in the body. It changes the pressure and the volume of my organs. It changes my whole skeleton. It changes how I feel about the weight of my heart. It changes how my feet feel in the ground. And I notice that on each half, so just the inhale changes everything and just the exhale changes everything. And then I continue just to listen to my own weight through the passage of time and the movement of each half of the breath. And then sometimes I like to listen at the bottom of the exhale and without holding the breath at the bottom of the exhale, I'm just waiting for that moment when my body really reaches out for the inhale. And then I take that inhale and, at the, and same thing at the top of the inhale, I just wait. I'm not holding my breath. I'm just waiting for my body to say, now I wanna let go. And at the bottom, I just wait for my body to say, now I wanna take in. And I'll just spend some time lying there, feeling my weight, listening to the conversation between my skull and spine and waiting for the breath to come. when you feel ready, you can bring yourself out of it, roll to a side and take the time that it takes to find your way to back into the world again. And just that act of breathing can remind us to make choices about how much we wanna take in or how much we wanna offer at any given moment. It's a way to listen to our capacity.
Yes, listen to our capacity and know how much we can and want to give and take. Like, I wow, I I feel so like tender in a way and almost weepy, re realizing that <laughs> there's been a long time since I hadn't given myself the space to breathe in the way that I need to. Always rushing, like, I am not yet at the end of the exhale and I'm already inhaling and I haven't finished inhaling and I'm already like interrupting and wanting to exhale. It's like running task after task, but without really like getting to the to the completion and not even getting my giving myself that satisfaction that I now like recovered for for myself. I, I have a a renewed sense, renewed sense of being in the space, in my space, and and the space around. And I don't know. I am very curious about the sensualists that are watching and listening to this wonderful episode. How is their experience? Because this is so appear apparently simple, but it's truly fundamental. Like just like taking the time like yeah. go to stillness source in the movement within that stillness and then... the the first time i did this i went to the bottom of an exhale and i was just waiting and then i started to panic because i felt like i don't feel any instinct to inhale and it terrified me and i felt like i was about to have a panic attack at the bottom and I still I was just like sit with it just sit with it and even now recalling it I like I can feel that terror that came up for me just waiting and feeling like what if I never want to inhale what if I just lie here and I die and then from a very like small place just this like little reach came and I filled up and I felt like, oh, I do want to be alive. Like, I do want to continue. I think I'd been so burned out for so long. There was a part of my body that was like, I don't want to. I don't want to take anything else in. I don't want to receive. I don't want to accept. I don't want more inside me. I don't want to try. I don't want to. And it was a really scary place to sit with at the bottom of an exhale. The top always feels easier for me because I'm so full and I think my body is like, let go, like, let it go. I don't want to stay this tight or this full, you know? Um, so that the exhale is always easier for me, but sometimes the inhale can bring up a lot of feelings for me. Um, and I think it's just really interesting to play inside that balance of all the things that breath relates to giving and taking, offering and receiving, being full and being empty towards life, towards death, you know, whatever you want to attach to it, right? There's something That's about, you know, the inhale that like our first breath and of course our exhale is our last breath. 
And that is a universal thing. And I do think that somewhere inside our biology and neurology, like there is a sense of like, I'm reaching for life and I'm accepting death with every half of a breath. That's a lot for us to live inside truthfully. Yes, yes, yes. And between each inhale and exhale, there's this little space yeah, this little stillness that is so important for the inhale to to really begin and really end in order to go to the next dynamic that it's the exhale. Ah, this is so wonderful and delicious. Thank you so much, Alexander. Yeah. Um, I don't. I didn't realize that this was we were podcasting right now. I thought we were just chatting to like prep. But oh, this this is it. This is I, I, I think well we we can do another <laughs> more official episode, though I think this is pure just because precisely we have been talking from from this felt sense mm -hmm. at the edge of, of the moment. Not, yeah. not not too not too much from the frame of the discursive thinking but with an actual like i don't know organic organization yeah. in the yeah. discourse which i find it very fascinating sure uh yeah i mean if you got what you need that's totally fine i just was like wait are we actually podcast? <laughs> i would have come with a bigger microphone and i would have you know etc yeah so tell us how can we know more about your work um, I do a lot of things, um, and I do a lot of things for different people. And, uh, sometimes it's hard for me to, uh, sort of present myself because I, I feel like I have so many different pathways of people that I talk to. I talk to artists about their creative process. I talk to human beings in their human bodies who are wanting to get more, connected to themselves and their authenticity. And I do that through like private Bartenioff and classes. And then I choreograph and direct for theater. So I like, I do all these different things. Um, I have a website that talks about many of them, which is alexandrabellardances.org. Um, that's probably the best way to kind of see the breath of what I'm doing and see if there's anything that speaks to you alexandra beller dances yeah. together yeah wonderful fantastic alexandra i'm very happy <laughs> great yeah somatically and everything happy with with a mysterious quietness <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah 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 and you know like if we could learn to offer that quietness to our children in what is such a noisy world yes. and to allow them that space to really just listen to themselves. It's something that I think we spend our whole adult lives trying to recover from. And that's if, a gift. Yeah. Could we like recreate things for our children so that they don't have to recover from that? They, they don't endure that trauma as children you know, school is school, but after that, 
how do we make this space and time for them to really just exist and listen to themselves and be honored as themselves yeah that's so important part of of the education that you can give inside your house and i have just had an amazing realization of consent being very practical as practical and as real that can be because it's a physical sensed thing and my realization is in this moment of being an, at the top and at the bottom of breath that consent has to do with precisely giving that space to know what's going on and like okay i i am not inhaling yet and it's of course you can force the inhale and you can force the exhale i i do that all the time i have just remembered that that's not the way for me because i have already explored this and realized that natural breath is what we just tapped in, into and i feel that's also the fundamental way for any in any interaction any relation to to realize if you are going for it or if you're ready to welcome it physically not rationally and like martha graham said the body don't lie like if, if you stay there you will see what is true what is really true to you to your body like if you're inhaling or exhaling and and the beauty of staying there and then sensing how the inhale blooms yeah. or how at the very top of the expansion of the inhale you yes. can fall inside yourself yeah and, and you can really let go and of course, you know, this is a microcosm for so much of both sensuality and sexuality. And my my partner and I joke sometimes because he's like, so many men are missing so much of their own pleasure by not being like so excited by female pleasure, you know, and they're missing like the best sex of their life by bypassing their partner's pleasure because it's the most pleasurable thing and but it takes time and if you're time. and if you're not willing to like sit in that space and wait for it to blossom as you said you're just missing out on it's like there's a whole room in your house that you didn't ever know was there and then like moving out you know the realtor comes in to sell your house and they're like oh there's a whole other wing back here you never a whole other wing you know there's a pool there's a cinema there's like there's a whole wing to your house you never even knew was there and you're like with the best look? with the best things in the whole house yeah. like all, all the okay. book and paintings collection yeah and, and the swimming pool the and a, you know, like a jacuzzi and whatever that's all been here the whole time and I never what you know I've been cheated and, you know, you get cheated because you've been moving so fast, you never saw the door. You just walk by it every day. Just walk by it. Just walk by it. And you have to slow down enough to be like, what is that? What is, is that a secret door? Where is does that it go? It is. It is. It is, but you have to slow down to find it. 
the bottom yeah. of the exhale, the top of the inhale, like like the depth of yourself. Fantastic, Alexandra. I hope this is the first of, of many more <laughs> episodes. Maybe the next ones will be <laughs> more planned. I feel <laughs> I feel this is fantastic. Great, great, good. Great. All well, right. Thank you so much. See you next time then. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye.